you only had a, a week to live. How do you think you would live that week? Uh, Jesus rode into Jerusalem knowing what was going to happen to him. He knew it. It was preordained before the foundation of the world. All four Gospels presents this. And each Gospel writer presents the triumphal entry in a different way. Um, I can't go through all four Gospels, but I'll give you the, the highlights. But this is the only public demonstration that our Lord allowed when he was ministering here on this earth. Many times he would go in public, he would do a miracle, he would say, don't tell anybody. Or he would say, my time is not yet. But this time, since it's the Passover, the biggest feast of the whole year, he rides right in there and broad open daylight to give his life for you and me. Isn't that great? Now when Jesus did, he was fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy, Zechariah 9, 9, you know, the results was a growing animosity uh, on the part of the religious leaders. Leaders eventually to the, it led really to the crucifixion of the Jesus Christ, the animosity of the religious leaders. But the prophet Zechariah prophesied the triumphant entry 500 years before it even happened. Zechariah 9 and 9, the coming of the king. It says, Rejoice, O daughter of Jerusalem. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, and he is in having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a coat, a fowl of a donkey. Daughter of Zion is another name for Jerusalem. Jesus was announcing to the people that he is indeed is the king of Israel. And he wanted people to see it. He, he, the promised Messiah, no doubt many of the pilgrims had hoped that he would defeat the Romans and set the nations free from the Romans' bondage because Israel was under Roman captivity at the time. But in fulfilling this prophecy, Jesus accomplished two purposes. He declared himself to be king and the Messiah over Israel. He deliberately ch challenged the religious leaders and he set in motion the plot for his arrest. And he set in motion the plot for his crucifixion. The Jewish uh, religious leaders had decided not to arrest him during the feast, but God had determined otherwise. The Lamb of God must die at Passover. He, he died on Passover day. Man, because the Bible said, he is our Passover, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. He was sacrificed for you. He was called our Passover. John 1, 29, when John the Baptist preached, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who came to take away the sins of the world. The Passover, you can read about it in Exodus chapter 12, when the death, the death angel flew over Israel, and everybody that had the Blood on the doorposts and on the, on the lintels of the homes, the death angel passed over that home because the death angel saw the blood on the home and passed judgment over that home. And when Christ looked at your life and my life, he sees the blood. 
and he passed judgments away from you, God is not going to bring you into judgment. Now, because Jesus Christ took your judgment on him on that cross. He died on Passover day. To take away the sins of the world on Friday on the Passover, he would be the Passover lamb, that sacrificial lamb. Yes, he's our Passover. But anyway, he entered in Jerusalem on his own time. God always does things on his own time. And this was pre-orchestrated, pre-ordained. He entered Jerusalem on his own time and forced a whole issue in order that it might happen on the Passover day when the lambs were being sacrificed. Lambs were sacrificed in the Old Testament, but none could take away sin. It was only a covering. In God's perfect time and at the precise time, foreordained, foreordained from eternity, he presented himself to die. The Passover festival was about two million people. Jews came from all over Jerusalem, all over Rome during this, during this Passover week. And Jesus chose this day to ride into Jerusalem with all the people there. He knew since the Passover was probably two million people around Jerusalem, this was the only time in his ministry that Jesus, that Jesus actually planned and promoted his public demonstration. Many times they tried to make him king and he, would, he wouldn't let them. But this time he is promoting his public demonstration. Up to this time, he cautioned people not to tell who he was. And he would avoid scenes like this, but this time, he did not avoid it. Jesus, Jesus did not come as a, as a warring king on a horse or in a chariot, but as a gentle and a peaceful king on a donkey. He will later he will later come as a warring king. Revelation 19, Revelation 19, 7. He coming his second coming. He's going to come a king conquering this time. But this time he came gentle as a lamb. But next time he won't. Revelation 19, 11, And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in his righteousness he judged and make war. He's going to make war next time when he comes. The first time Jesus came, he came as a suffering servant. But the next time he comes, it's going to be a different story. He's going to be a conquering king. Matthew uh, 1 through 11 in your Bibles. Matthew puts it different. I used to go to Mark. Sometimes I go to John. Sometimes I go to Luke. This time I'm going to Matthew. I don't want to leave Matthew out, so I'm going to go to Matthew. <laughs> But all four gospel writers, they presented in a different aspect, a different way. Matthew 21, 1 through 11, the triumphal entry. Matthew 21, 1 through 11. Now, when he drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, it's a small town near Bethany. Bethphage means the house of figs. And at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then Jesus sent two disciples, some say it was Peter and John, saying, go into the village opposite of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, a coat with her. Loose them and bring them to me. 
And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. He will send them. So this was all rearranged. You're going to go into a city. You're going to find a coat. Tie it. Loose him. Bring him. Anyone says something? Let's say the Lord has. That's the password. Tell the Lord have need for him. The Lord had needs for him. We're going we, we to need this coat. You know, God always uses people to do his work. I, I read this, and I'm thinking the coat was tied. Jesus sure knew the coat was there. He could have whistled, and the coat could have came running. But God uses people to carry on his work, and it hasn't changed today. If the gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached, if the gospel is going to be preached, you and I got to preach it. It hasn't changed. God wants people to be a part of what he's doing. Isn't that beautiful? He said, you go in there and tell that coach to come here. But he uses people to partner with him in what he wants to do here on the earth. And Jesus Plains refers to himself as the Lord. That means he is the sovereign orchestrator of these events. He's orchestrating all this, this event. He's in full control of everything that is happening here, not the religious leaders. He's initiating everything. Having just arrived in Bethphage, Jesus wouldn't have, he wouldn't have time to make all these arrangements for the use of the animals. He wouldn't have the time to do this. Yet he knew precisely the location of this animal and the owners who is believed to be one of his disciples. His foreknowledge reveals his divine omniscience. That means he's all-knowing. And everything was prearranged and Jesus here is in completely control because he is God in human flesh. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled was spoken by the prophet, as I said. Isaiah, I mean, Zechariah 9, 9. He's filling this very prophecy. Jesus chose to enter Jerusalem at this time, mounted on a donkey, claimed publicly that he was the chosen, chosen of David, and the one whom the prophets had spoken about. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. And they brought the donkey and the coat, and they laid their clothes on them, and they set, and they set him on them like a little saddle. You know, they're going to make it comfortable for him. So Matthew mentions, Matthew mentions two animals. Having the mother donkey move alongside her broken coat would be the best way to calm the coat during all this noise in Jerusalem. Some say. And a, great, and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down palm branches from the trees and spread them on the road. They paid homage to him, providing him a, like a carpet to ride on. And they laid their garments on the animals on the road. And they waving their branches uh, were part of, the, uh, part of the Jewish traditional reception for royalty. The multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means save now. Hosanna means save us now. Save now. Save us from what? Save us from the Roman oppression. Roman was ruled at the time and they expected Jesus to deliver them right then and there. He would overthrow Rome. He would establish his kingdom. He didn't do that. 
He was more concerned about establishing his kingdom in people's hearts than to deliver them from Rome. They said, blessed is he who come to the land, name of the Lord. They say, and when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? You know, they didn't expect a king to come in there on a donkey. They said, man, who is this? Some people, you know how people said, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. That's who he is. And the people were, they were publicly acknowledging Jesus as a Messiah, but not the religious leaders of Israel. You only got two groups of people. You got those that believe and those that don't. The people who were praising God and giving him a king and, and, and giving him the king and uh, had the wrong idea about Jesus. The crowd looked to Jesus as a political, a national savior, but not a spiritual savior. So many of them, they missed the boat. They were sure he would be a national leader, that he would overthrow the Roman yoke politically. He would help them economically. He would help them militarily. They said, save us now, save us now. He would restore their nation. But they were deaf to the words of the prophets and blinded to Jesus. His real mission was to die on the cross on that Roman cross. That was his real mission. Jesus chose a time when all Israel would be gathered together at Jerusalem for the Passover, a place where huge crowds could see him. A way proclaiming his mission that his identity would be unmistakable. The people went wild. This is Hosanna. They were sure he was going to liberate, liberate them from the Roman oppression. But when it came apparent that Jesus was not going to fulfill their hopes, many people turned against him and they cried changed from Hosanna to crucify him. They had high expectations that he would deliver them from the Roman oppression. And when he did not feel and do what they wanted, they rejected him and they hollered the same people. But a week later, they said, crucify him. They wanted Jesus' kingdom established then. Jesus was standing before Pilate, and it was custom they would release a prisoner on the Passover once a year. And Pilate said, well, now, who, who do y'all want me to release? Do you want me to release Jesus? Or do you want me to release Barabbas? Now, which one? Pilate went out and got a murderer. The worst guy he could find was Barabbas. And Pilate was sure that the crowd would choose to release Jesus and uh, throw Barabbas in prison and judge him, but it backfired on him. The crowd said, release Barabbas and kill Jesus. Pilate was shocked. Pilate said, well, what did he do? The Bible said the crowds hollered all the more and they screamed. They said, crucify him. Pilate said, well, I find no evil in the man. 
Why? Pilate was surprised of the answer. He was sure that they would release Jesus and punish Barabbas, but Pilate knew that he was delivered over to the crowd for envy, and Pilate knew that he was innocent. Pilate said, I'll wash my hands of this man's blood. You know, but Jesus was a person that came. How fickle the crowd was. When they, when they, feel that, they felt that Jesus was not going to fulfill their expectation, they were fickle. They were with him one week, Hosanna, Hosanna. The next week they said, crucify him. They, they, they changed. They went against him. They, they came against him. But he offered himself to be king of Israel as it was prophesied. But they needed to realize something. They, Jesus came to die for sins and to pay a price on that cross and to present himself as their Messiah. And even we today, we owe him everything. We owe Jesus everything. If I never get another blessing, if I never get one another blessing, I owe him everything right now. If there was no rewards in heaven, which there will be, I don't know why I would get a reward, but he's going to reward us. Can you believe that? It's hard to believe. I don't know why. But if there was no rewards, no blessing, I would still serve him. Because, see, I've tried the other way. It didn't work. I've been on both sides of the streets. I've served the devil and I've served God. Guess which one is better? God's way is better. Amen. Amen. Well, the Jews still not recognize Jesus as king. What, they, they were spiritually blind. One thing the religious leaders had robbed them, the religious leaders had robbed them and had blinded them by their traditions. The leaders were not interested in the truth. They were concerned only by protecting their own interests. They said, man, we don't want this guy. We, we, we don't want this guy to reign over us. We don't have no king but Caesar. Willful blindness. Even our Lord's miracle did not convince a lot of people. Sometimes people see miracles still won't believe. And the longer people resist the truth, the blinder seems like they get. The nation had wasted its opportunity. Their leaders did not know the time of his visitation, as Luke puts it. They were ignorant of their own scripture. They knew the scripture, but they didn't know the Christ of the scripture. They were ignorant of the scripture. The next time Jesus, the next time Israel sees Jesus, the scene will be Radically different. He's going to come in glory. He's going to come with his armies. And guess who's going to come with him? You and me. And our white horse. We're going to be coming with him, boy, to reign a thousand years on this earth. Our, our future's bright. It might look grim here. It might look bad here on this earth. But your future, if you got Christ, you got a bright future. Jesus coming was not just to save people of his day. He came to save you. Have you received him as your king? Would you like to receive Jesus as your king? When you're talking to people, you ask people that. Don't go witnessing to people and give them all this information without popping the question and say, hey, would you, would you like to receive Jesus as your king? That takes a lot of guts to do that. People are talking about everything else except Jesus. They'll talk about anything else. 
but you got to bring the conversation around to Jesus. So the last week of his ministry, he rides into Jerusalem, broad open daylight, one of the most, in the, during the Passover, when all the people was going to be there watching. Palm Sunday is only a preview of what he's going to do next week on that cross. Unbelief is a terrible thing, man. Uh, um, and that's why in Luke 19, you can read it sometimes, Jesus is weeping here over Jerusalem. The Bible says, as he drew near, Luke 19, 41 through 44. Luke 19, 41 through 44. It says, Jesus just look at Jerusalem and he just starts weeping. It says, now, as he drew near, he hasn't even got into the city yet. It says, as he drew near, he saw the city and just wept, just started weeping. Why did he weep? He saw the unbelief in their hearts, and he knew he would be rejected. He's saying, saying, if you had known, if you had ever known, even you especially, talking to the Jews, even you, the Jewish people, even you especially, in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. I came to visit you, and you didn't realize it. And Jerusalem was destroyed 40 years later by Titus. Oh, Jerusalem, he said in Matthew 23, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, you can just hear it. The one who kills the prophets and stone the ones who I sent you. He said, how I wanted to just gather you, your children together as a hen gather her chicks, but you would not believe it. His own people came unto his own. They received him not. He said, your house is left desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The stone which the builders rejected became the head cornerstone. The stone the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, builders Israel, rejected him. Unbelief 2,000 years later, and there's still unbelief, and still people don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. 2,000 years later, because the human heart hasn't changed. Many today don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Many Jewish people don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Because I've asked them. They said, no. I go, what? You're a Jew? You don't believe that Jesus? Even I believe that, and you're a Jew, and you don't believe it? You know, some do, some don't. You're going to have two groups of people. You're going to have some believe, you're going to have some that don't. That's the way it always been. The Bible says, as it was in Noah's day, so shall it be when the Son of Man becomes again. Paul had a burden for Israel. Romans 9, verse 1 to 4, I tell you the truth, I am not lying. My conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Spirit, and I have great sorrow and continued grief in my heart, for I wish that I myself were a curse for Christ. Paul said that, Romans 9. For my brethren, talk about the Jewish people, for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Paul said, I wish I could be a curse myself or I could save them people. He says, 
who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. He said in Romans 10, we said it yesterday at the men's breakfast. Jack was talking about that yesterday at the men's breakfast. He was saying that the Jewish people, he said, Israel needed the gospel just like everybody else. Everybody needs the gospel, Jew or Gentile. Brethren, my heart desire and prayer to God for Israel that it might be saved. Paul, was, he had a burden for the Jewish people. I bear them witness which they are. They have a seal for God, but not according to knowledge. They were ignorant of the righteousness of God, seeking to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted to the righteousness of God. There's only one righteousness. That's the righteousness of God. There's, oh, oh, Hosanna, they quote in Psalm 18, 118, verse 26. Oh, Hosanna, blessed is he. Crucify him. That animal obeyed. When that animal, Jesus called that animal, he obeyed. The Bible says in Isaiah 1, the ox knows its owner and the donkey is its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people does not consider a lie, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. And they have turned away backwards. They have turned away backwards. They say people are going backwards. Spiritually blind. It hasn't changed. So Jesus presents himself king. He rides in a donkey on the Passover feast. And then next week, Resurrection Sunday, he will be put on the cross. Wow. But as a day, as it was in the day of Lot, the Bible says, when he went out from Sodom, it rained down fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day the Son of Man is revealed. He said it will be the same way. It's going to be business as usual when Jesus returns. It's, going to be, it's business as usual. People doing the same old thing. And the Bible says he's going to come like a thief in the night. The, the, the rapture of the church could happen now, today. Paul said, but even men, Paul said, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2 Timothy 3.13. Evil men, he says, is going to grow worse and worse. Can you see the evilness is picking up? Can you see it increasing? This is signs of the times we're living in right now. This is like no other time that I've ever experienced. Everything is out of, everything is out of place. Everything is out of order. But God is still in control. I'm hoping that people will see that they have no hope. I'm hoping people can see that you can't put your trust in politicians. I hope people can see you can only put your trust, your trust in Christ because he is the only one that is going to get us out of this mess, if he does. The Bible says evil men is going to get worse and worse. Why? Because the heart is going to... Jeremiah 17, 9 said the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can, who can know it? 
He says, I know it because I try the hearts. Oh, God sees the hearts. And that's going to be a lot of people I'm praying come to Christ. But the triumphant entry was not triumphant to a lot of people. When Jesus rode in there on a donkey, he was the biggest loser. But they've never seen a king come in there on a... They've seen kings come on white stallions, beautiful horses. Jesus came in there, and they said, who is this? Who is this? He was rejected, and he's still rejected, and he's still despised till this day. Can you believe that? But that's the way it is. I hope that if anybody watching today by YouTube or Facebook have not put their faith in Christ, I hope that when Jesus comes, you will be ready. You will be ready to go. We don't know how much longer we got. We don't know. No one knows the day or the hour. We just have to occupy until he comes. We got to stay busy. We got to warn people. We got to warn people. I don't know about you, man, but in my own Christian life, that gospel, I'm responsible for that gospel. It keeps me awake at night. Because I know the truth and say nothing. Man, that's that's cold-blooded. Don't you know that tribulation is coming? Do you know how bad that tribulation is going to be for people when they can't even buy or sell? The Antichrist is on the way. What is the church supposed to be doing? Man, just try to snatch as many out the fire as you can and take as many as you can go, as many as you can take. Warren, you guys got family members don't know the gospel. You got family members don't know Christ. You got neighbors. You got friends. Look for opportunities and share the gospel. That is the only hope for people. Have compassion for the lost. Have compassion for those people. They don't know. They don't know the judgment is coming. And they don't know how bad it's going to get. But you know. And this is our hour. I've said it a thousand times. This is the time for the church to arise to the occasion. Right now. Jesus has done all that he's going to do. If anything that's going to be done, he's going to do it through you and he's going to do it through me. He needs a vessel that he can work through. Will it be you? Will it be me? I have people, man, that they drink so much. They drink so much, man. I, I'm not nosy, you know, but I see them put their bottles out on the street. I'm not, I'm just looking over there at the bottles, man. They got bottles like this, put, you know, whiskey and stuff because they're trying to find peace through alcohol and uh, nice people, too. So I'm trying to befriend them and I'm trying to win them to Christ. And I hope that when you look at the unbeliever, uh, have some compassion. Have some compassion. Yeah, we got to speak the truth in love. Of course we do. But have some compassion, man, because such were some of you. Come on now, you know it. But, but now you've been washed, you've been cleansed, you've been sanctified. So now you walk into a different beat. But look back at the way before you came to Christ. We were the same as they were, and some of us were worse. So let's not forget that, where we came from. And I pray that God would give you compassion and give me compassion for the lost. Because hell is not a good place to go. I know a lot of people don't believe in a real hell, but Scripture teaches that you're going to one or two places, heaven or hell. Ain't no purgatory. You're going to heaven or hell, one of the two. And you can choose now where you want to go, as long as you're living. 
I've had people over the years ask me to go pray for they at the graveside with people, you know, come pray for my dead uncle. He died, you know, and we're going to go to the grave. Could you come over there? And, you know, I'm thinking, you know, the prayer is not going to help him now. You got to accept Christ while you're alive. Because once you take that last breath, brother, it's over. Amen. And God is waiting for you and me. Go right now. I know people who sitting out Easter bunnies, Easter bunnies and Easter rabbits and eggs and all this stuff on their doorstep. And they don't know what Easter is, uh, is all about. They don't even know what Resurrection Sunday is all about. So it might be an opportunity where we can tell them, right? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, that we can come and we can hear your word. And Father, we just pray if there's anyone here that has not accepted you as their Savior, that you would open their ears and their hearts right now. We thank you and we praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.